This is Murder in the Black with Steph and M.D. Welcome back to Murder in the Black. It is your host, Steph. And I'm MD. And we are back for another episode. Shout out to my my dad. He he gave us another theme music intro. How do y'all like that new theme music? Yes. Thank you, Daddy. Hope y'all like it. So we're gonna get straight into our case for today. MD, I would usually tell you to jump right in, but you know, baby, you knew. So like I'm just not going to even let you do it because it's actually brand new stuff we doing. So grab your coffee if it's the morning. Grab your lemonade if it's lunchtime. And go ahead and grab your wine if it's the evening. Either way, let's get into it. Let's get into it. How about that lemonade? I like that lemonade, you know, because... Ooh, it's like that tea. It's just a little sweeter. Just a little sweeter. So today we have a true crime case, and I have to give a big shout out to Amari. Thank you. And if I'm saying your name wrong, girl, you know exactly who you are. You go by Belle on your Instagram, and she hit me up in a DM, which you got to know that I am paying attention, y'all, on our DMs because she hit me up and she said, Steph. I mean, she didn't say Steph, but, you know, she said Steph. And she was like, you have to check out a true crime episode on Hulu called I Caught My Killer. And that automatically, I don't know about you, MD, but I'm the type of person where in order to like catch my attention, I'm the I'm a title person. Like I'm not the type of person who watches trailers or when I pick out a book to read, I don't like, you know, read the back cover or check the like, you know, the inside cover of a book. I am a title person. So the title caught my attention. So when she said that, I was like, "Oh god, how I call my killer?" And I immediately got on Hulu and <laughs> checked it out. <laughs> That's funny. I think I'm a combination of that. But yeah, the, the, definitely the title matters. And if it's catchy, then you're all in. Absolutely. And so, like, whether she knew it or not, this particular episode, like, fell right into the theme that I was doing or that we're doing here on Murder in the Black. And so I started watching the episode and I realized that... This was a headline that I read, and then once I started digging more into the episode, I realized that this was actually a story that MD covered that I did not, like, listen to, or it wasn't that I didn't intentionally listen to the story that MD covered on our TikTok that we did, like, so many years ago. So long ago. When we started Murder in the Black. But MD actually covered this story, and I didn't pay attention to it. It was a headline, but I didn't pay attention to it. So I actually was watching it for the first time by Omari's request, and I knew I had to bring the story on to our podcast. So Right, and even though we did cover it, I, or even though I covered it on TikTok, it's like, you know, a very, I don't want to say watered down, but sort of, like, version of what we could give you on a podcast and kind of go way more in depth. Like this is back when TikTok still had those time restraints and you could only say so much and you're trying not to have too many videos. So I'm excited to talk about this case with you guys today. Absolutely. So I'm entitling this particular case, protect black women at all cost. Love it. Yes. So let's go ahead and get into it. So, Sarah Butler went missing on November 23rd of 2016. But I want to talk about who Sarah Butler was. She grew up in Mount Clare, New Jersey. And Sarah was 19 years old when she met when she went missing. Now she was a 
college student. She was first generation college student. So she was the first one to go to school and she really relied on herself to pay the bills. You know, she was not, um, you know, one of, She didn't come from a lot of means, okay? She was not the person who was, you know, depending on her parents. And so she did all that she could to maintain um, her finances for herself. I mean, she was pulling out loans, you know. I I was pulling out loans too, girl. Absolutely. You know, we got to do what we got to do. And she loved dancing. I mean, she was a performer. She loved doing things. And she was pretty close to her family. And, you know, she wanted to start dating. She wanted to, you know, get out there and start dating. And in 2016, it was definitely, you know, the norm to get on a dating app and meet guys, you know. MD, you know anything about that? I don't. I never did that. You didn't meet nobody on Facebook? No. No? No. Okay. Just, you know. And no shade to anybody. I just didn't. Okay. So, she did, and she actually met this guy on an app called Tag. Now, I'm not familiar with Tag, and it's not something that I don't think stuck around for too long because it's nothing that I've heard of in recent years either, but she actually made a connection. So while she was on break, because November 22nd, 23rd, that sounds around the time of Thanksgiving break, she met a guy and she decided to meet up with him. So she told her mom, you know, hey, mom, you know, I'm gonna meet up with somebody. And so she asked her mom if she could use her minivan. And so her mom said, sure, no problem. She told her mom she would be back around eight o'clock. And she was a very punctual person. So if she was going to be home around eight o'clock, her mom knew that she was going to be back home around that time. And so 8.05 came around and she wasn't back. And her mom just, you know, she was concerned because it was unlike Sarah. And I think anytime you hear somebody say, you know, this is not like this person, I think you should trust that, you know, because I just, I think that a parent knows their child and it was just very unlike Sarah, but her mother gives it a day. She's like, okay, this is not like Sarah, but her mom waits the day and she goes to Mount Claire's police department the very next day and reports her daughter missing. Well, of course, what do the police say, MD? You know, what do they say? You know, we can't report her missing. She's an adult. She can go missing if she wants to. She can. But the family decides that they're going to do their own investigation. Now, this is kind of where I want to stop and say that it's important that, you know, you as a listener can take matters into your own hands. And I know you guys probably are probably sick of me saying this. And I hope that no one ever finds themselves in a position where your loved one is missing, whether you're directly or indirectly affected. But I think it's very important that if you do find yourself in this position, that you can start your own investigation. Because the truth of the matter is, is that we live in a digital age. You can print off flyers. You can make things go viral in the age of TikTok and Facebook. You can start your own movement. You do not have to wait on law enforcement to do their jobs. You can do their jobs for them because you can. We don't have to wait on anyone. And the Butler family didn't wait. So what they did, they started their own buzz. And so they began to tell people, hey, if you see the minivan, let us know. They began to create a buzz of their own. And within just three days, they found the minivan abandoned. And when they found the minivan abandoned, who did they call? They called the police and the police showed up and so did family and friends. And when the police showed up, they began to search the minivan and they found some of Sarah's red hair. Now, when she went missing, she had some red hair and I'm assuming that it was some red weave, right, MD? Am I correct? Yeah, I think it was a red wig. Yeah, it was a red wig. 
And so immediately when they found this red wig, okay, something sinister happened. Foul play is assumed to be involved, right? Right. Now we can declare her missing. Right. So the police immediately dust the car for fingerprints and they treat the car and the area as if it were a crime scene. So now the police are treating this as if this is a crime scene. She is now um, missing. And so Sarah's sister has an idea to get her social media accounts since she did have access to her passwords. Now, I have a poll question. Y'all know what time it is. Y'all know what time it is. Do or who has access to your social media accounts? Who? Is it your partner? Is it your best friend? Is it your mom? Is it your dad? Because the truth of the matter is somebody needs to have access to your social media accounts. Somebody, anybody, if you were to pass away, right? You need to have a family member who can access your accounts. And they actually have that available now. That like used to be, that didn't even used to be a thing, right? Like when social media was once, you know, at at its inception. But somebody needs to be able to have access to that. And not just your social media accounts, right? Like just... A lot of different things because one of the the primary things that 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 holds police up in in missing investigations and homicide investigations is getting access to cell phone records, and we think that that's just a like really easy thing, but it's not. It's a very difficult thing. So, you know, if nobody has access to my password and my cell phone information, like nobody can get in then we have to wait for the police to be able to get the warrant and be able to get the AT&T to approve, you know, all of this stuff and to be able to then trace down and we down. That's valuable time that you're losing out on, right? Versus, okay, um, Steph has my password. So Steph can go now into my phone and gain access to all of the things, right? She has access and maybe my phone is missing with me or lost with me, but Steph has access to my cell phone account. So password to my cell phone account. So she can now get in there and, and, and be able to do the things that the police are wanting to do, but they can't do without, you know, right. Legal, legal, uh, in, in legal ways. So. Yeah, so that's something that I want you guys to be thinking about during this case. But also, I want you to be thinking about as you answer that poll question, (laughs) okay? So, you're probably wondering, well, why didn't her sister think about that while she was missing? Well, listen, she probably was frazzled. And a lot of things were probably going on in her mind. And she probably didn't stop to even think about that as, as they were searching for for Sarah. So her sister, after the hustle and bustle of finding the minivan, probably stopped and was like, man, she was actually going on a date. I wonder, did that guy she went on a date with, maybe he knows something, you know? So she stops and thinks and she gains access to her her password and her social media account and she figure, figures out who she was talking to and this guy's username was little yacht rock and she sees how their conversation went and their conversation went something like this little yacht rock says to sarah sex for money And Sarah responds, wow. And she says, how much money? They negotiated a price. They came up with $500. And the last message, or they agreed upon $500. The last message that Sarah sends him is, you're not a serial killer, are you? LOL. Now, College was expensive and $500 wasn't a large sum of money in 2016. It still isn't a large sum of money in 2024, but let's face it. $500 is a good little bit of money, you know, for a college student, for a college student. Yeah. For for a college student, $500 is a 
a nice chunk of change. Like, I, you know, just thinking when I was in college, if somebody had put $500 in my hand, I would have been like, thank you. Right. I appreciate that. Ooh. You know what I'm saying? I'm doing some things with that. Right. So, you know, a couple of days later, Little Rock Yacht, she goes and picks him up at his house in Orange, New Jersey, and then communication stops completely. Now, you know, and Steph, I don't mean mm-hmm. to pause you, but I don't think that she even knew that it was his house, but it was a really big house. Yeah, it was a he nice gave house. gave an address. And a nice and community. And it was a really big house. And he told her, you know, so like, I think it's logical to think this must be his house. Like, and I think I'm sure that like let her guard come down significantly. I mean, yeah. I mean, if you, I think any concerns you may have had or reserve you may have had, if you Google that address and you're like, man, this is in a nice community. Right. It couldn't be too bad. Right. Right. Okay. $500. All of this is adding up to nice. (laughs) You know? So she picks him up. All communication stops after that. So Sarah's sister is like, okay, something doesn't seem like the kids say. Right. Very sus. sus. But instead of spooking him and actually sending a message from Sarah's profile, what she decides to do is be more calculating. She sends a catfish from a different profile that she actually makes up. And she goes ahead and sends a message from this catfish profile. And she takes all of this information that she has gained because she has done all All of this research and all the investigation that the police have not done. Somebody pay her some money. Please pay her some money. And she brings all of this to investigators, right? And so Little Yacht Rock actually responds, right? And the police are now interested, right? The police are like, okay, okay. Now we can we can work with this. We'll take it over now. We'll, we'll actually do our job. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks, police. You're the best. (laughs) So they they take it over. And they actually arrange to meet Little Yacht Rot at the local Panera Bread. And they find out that Little Yacht Rot is a 19-year-old young man. Okay? Well-dressed. Like, you know... Nothing guy, looking guy. Nothing looks suspicious at all about this young man. Okay, and he admits to meeting Sarah, and he says that they they met. They Sarah dropped him off, and he never saw her again. And they take him downtown, and they find out that this guy's name is Kevin. Wheeler Weaver. Khalil. Khalil. Khalil Wheeler Wheeler. Weaver. Try saying that three times. Right. Khalil Wheeler Weaver. And he's a native. And they don't really have any reason to hold him. Yeah, because they searched the back of his car. Mm -hmm. Like when when they first, like, you know, walked up on him. They asked him, hey, can we search your car? And he said, yes, like a dummy. Never say yes, okay? Um, Even if you know you don't have anything in there, we don't ever say yes. I want my attorney all the time. Anyway, but he says yes. Like, And so they open up the trunk because keep in mind, Sarah's missing. So they're trying to see, is there any evidence that we can see that would lead us to believe that he's in connection with this missing woman? And when they open up the the trunk, I mean, it looks clean. It, it it's nothing even in there. It's clean. It looks fine. It looks like a normal trunk. He's real calm, collected. He seems eager to answer their questions, eager to help. I mean, and he goes downtown with them, answers more questions, and because he admits to being with her, and then her dropping him off. Well, there's no other reason. Yeah, to we have him. nothing to, else to tie you to other than this sister's suspicious feelings right and that's just not enough to hold up in court Mm -hmm. it's not yeah so the case kind of goes cold for a moment they don't have any other leads at this point right Steph right no other leads and we're gonna 
fast or really we're gonna gonna rewind. rewind rewind the tape because just eight days it was like seven or eight days before sarah goes missing on november 15th 2016 a woman named tiffany um tiffany taylor tiffany taylor has a very interesting uh, situation that happens to her. And the police were made aware. So Tiffany was, you know, sort of down on her luck at this time. She was recently pregnant, recently found out she was pregnant with her second child. And she was already struggling to get by, was down on her luck, and was just doing whatever. She had that hustle mindset. She was just like, Whatever I need to do to make it, I'm going to do that. And so she was just doing whatever she needed to do. And for her, that was, you know, was working the streets, right? Being, you know, and and not and that wasn't the only thing she did because I don't want to just make it seem like that was it, that was all. But that was probably one of the biggest things that brought in some income for her at the time. And so she was staying at the Ritz Motel and she needed some money. And so she contacted a friend who said, well, um, I have a friend that, that'll give you some gas money because she needed, needed some gas money. And so I'll connect you with this friend and you can reach out to him and, and y'all can connect. So she does. She, she reaches out and he's like, yeah, you can meet me across. The, it's, it's really not even that far from where she was staying. It was like, I believe, a gas station. Is that correct, Steph? Yeah, it was a gas station. And she goes and she pulls up. And she sees this guy that, now, mind you, we're in New York, uh, New Jersey, Newark, New Jersey, and it's November 15th. So she sees this guy that is, you know, covered in gloves and a ski mask, and she just notes that. That's something that stays with her. But she does say, this doesn't really bother me. I'm not really concerned. I'm not thinking that this is off or anything because... At this time of year, it's not unusual to see somebody, to see men with gloves and a ski mask on because it's November 15th in Newark. Now, if it's November 15th in the state of Texas and I see somebody with ski mask and gloves on, I'm definitely thinking somebody's robbing a bank. What about you, Steph? I mean, absolutely. I mean, but you know, it's it's that time of year. Everybody wears one and, and, and it no is big deal, right? right? So she... He got in the passenger side of the car, right? And they begin to proceed down the route. They turn down this back alleyway and he asked her for, because she was smoking a cigarette. So he asked her for a cigarette and he was about to go use the, the restroom. He's like, I need to, to take a leak. So that's all she remembers. She remembers reaching in to give him a cigarette and then everything goes black for her. She wakes up to being in the back seat of the car being raped. So she comes to, she's being raped in this moment. And, you know, she's trying to figure out like, what happened? How did I get here? What is happening with this? Um, and she just, she knows I got to fight for my life. I've got to fight for my life. Well, then as soon as she comes to, he then handcuffs her behind her back and he reaches for some duct tape and she said that when he reached for this duct tape to put on her mouth she knew then that he was going to try to kill her and so he began to strangle her and she said it clicked for her right then if I'm going to live I've got to fight like I never fought before and if I die we both dying we're gonna both go out and so she began to fight back and, and she was crying. And as she was crying, the, the duct tape was getting wet. And so it was allowing her to speak and be more clear in what she was saying. And so she just had this moment of revelation. I've got to say something that's going to get this man to get off of me and to give me an opportunity to get away. And so she says, I left my phone back at the motel. And he and he just, you know, stunned, kind of li- looks at her. 
And she says it again. I left my phone back at the motel. And in that, in, in that phone shows a history of you and I talking. You're the last person that I was talking to. It shows your number, your social media. It has your address. Like it has, I mean, it has your, the car that you're in. They will easily track you down when I go missing or when I, you know, when they discover my body. And that freaks him out. Like, he's like, oh, shoot, (laughs) you're right. And he says, we got to get that phone. I need you to get that phone. He begins to panic. Panic arises within him. And so he, he gets off her and then he gets in the driver's seat and he begins to drive her back to the Ritz Motel. And she, in her mind, knows that this is my opportunity to get away. I've got to be able to be strategic in this moment that when... At my first chance to to separate from him, I've got to do it. And so the way that this motel was, they were up, you know, she was located up the stairs. Like it's like one of those like, you know, outside motels. So imagine with me the, the outside motel type, you know, of situation where you have a lower, you know, rooms and then you got to go up the stairs to the, the upper rooms. She lived on the in the she was she was staying in the upper room so they walk up the stairs and she's gets in front of him because she's got to open the door and so she gets to the door and as soon as she opens the door she immediately slams the door on him and locks it now she's handcuffed so this is like this girl is really just being very like crafty okay like this is like all the things all the ducks are just lining up for her perfectly in this moment and he bangs on the door let me in let me in this door you better let me in and so she opens the window because you know it's one of those motels where you got the window with the curtains and she opens the, the 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 curtain and she was able to right before she opened the curtain get her arm out of one of the cuffs and so she flashes that to him and shows him, I'm out of these cuffs now. If you think that I'm going to open this door up for you, then you are out of your mind. <laughs> and so he immediately runs, you know, down the stairs and, and, and gets away. So she calls the, you know, does what anybody would do in this situation. What does she do, Steph? She calls the police. She calls the police. She needs help. She needs help. Because that's what we as babies are taught to do. If you need help, you call the police. I mean, one of the first numbers that you learn is 911, right? And so she does. She calls the police. The police get over to her and they begin to take her story. And what's really uh, great is if you watch this on Hulu is, and if, if you want, you can also uh, see some of the videos uh, of this interaction with her and the police on YouTube. Back when I did the TikTok, I was able to see the full interaction between her and the the police officer cuz you know this is 2016 and there they had body cams even back in 2016. And so you see the police come up to her and and is asking the questions and she's answering them and 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 it's revealed that she is a prostitute that goes out and has sex for money. And as soon as that light bulb comes on for the police, as soon as they recognize that she is a prostitute, well, their whole demeanor and interaction with Tiffany at this point changes. It changes to one of hostility. Like they start to treat her like she's a hostile witness. And Tiffany's like, listen, I have this man's, you know, cell phone number. I have his name. I know him. I know who he is because he is my friend's friend. And so I can lead you to him. We don't even have to, we don't even have to like track this down. Like this is easy. This is a a open and closed case. And the police are just like, listen, we could arrest you. For prostitution. Or you could drop this. And so the police walk off and they allow this guy to get away. 
Well, you're probably sitting there thinking, my MD, I know that you're telling me this story because it ties into Sarah. And boy, are you right. But before we tie this into Sarah, this same guy that attacked Tiffany on October 22nd, is that correct, Steph? October 22nd, attacked another victim. Steph, tell us about it. Yeah, so seven days later on um, on October 22nd, um, Khalil Willard goes and attacks Joanne Brown. A man named, well, Joanne Brown was a woman. And she was outside of a Popeye's. Now, just to give you a little bit of background about Joanne, Joanne was 33 years old. And Joanne was just a woman who was very humble, very, very pretty girl. Um, she was vibrant, characterizes a happy woman. She had just a very rough life. She just was... Um, abused she came um from the foster system she was abused by her foster family she was a woman who was a survivalist you know, she was a survivalist um she wanted a family she wanted to be a model most of all she wanted to be a mother she wanted to have a family but she was a prostitute you know she was trying to make a life for herself and she was trying to get out of that lifestyle but she happened to be in it and one day on October 22nd 2016 she was outside of a Popeyes when a guy in a BMW um came and he wanted to take her for a ride now her friend Misha was also outside of that Popeye's with her and she usually always took her phone with her but on this particular day one of her friends needed her phone they said that they absolutely needed her phone because they needed it for an emergency phone call and Misha being the type of I mean not Misha but um, Joanne being the type of person that she was, she was going to allow her friend to, you know, use her phone. So she said, you know, no problem. She told her friend, Hey, I'm just going to go ahead and let her have my phone. Um, I'll give you a call on his phone later. And so she actually did just that. She used the guy's phone who she was with and she gave her friend a call two and a half hours later. And she gave her friend Amina a phone call. She said, hey, girl, just wanted to let you know I'm okay. And then she told her that she would call her later. So a little later on, that same number calls Amina, Joanne's friend. She gives she gets a phone call and this time, Joanne doesn't say anything. And Amina just, you know, continues to say Joanne's name. Like, Joanne, are you there? Hello? But no one says anything. And so Amina just thinks that's really, really weird. And then the phone hangs up. So Amina's just like, okay, that's weird. I'm going to keep this phone number in my phone because this doesn't seem right. And she calls the number back, but this time no one picks up the phone. So she actually goes into the police department the next day and files a missing person report. But of course, the police department doesn't take it seriously because Joanne's a prostitute. And they decide to do their own sleuthing right they go to the jail they go to hospitals they go to the mental health ward and they try to see was joanne picked up was she in the hospital but they can't find anything any concrete evidence that joanne was missing dead anything nothing two weeks 
and weeks go by and nothing is found. So Steph is telling us about how now we have a victim. So just want to kind of recap, right? We got Sarah that goes missing in November, November 23rd. We have prior to that, November 15th, Tiffany Taylor has a, you know, a harrowing assault that happens to her, but she's able to get away. Prior to that, in, on October 22nd, we have Joanne, also known as London, who goes missing after getting in a B, a silver BMW with this guy, and they have this guy's phone number. But remember, the police is really not listening to these friends, right? Because, again, this is a prostitute. There just is not a lot of concern here for her, right? So th these are the things that are lining up. Now, we're going to rewind a little bit more because now we're going to talk about on August uh, of 2016, August 31st, a woman by the name of Robin Daphne Michelle West was in Newark selling, celebrating her birthday, her upcoming birthday. Now, she was raised in West Philadelphia, born and raised. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that. But she was raised in Philly. On the playground? <laughs> I mean, you opened the door, so I'm just I walking did. through. I did. You know, I was hoping you did walk through. But so she was raised in, in Philadelphia, and she she had a grew up in a loving home. Her father was a uh, an assistant pastor in a church, and but that Daphne was uh, or Robin was very you know set in her ways, and just really was like she what she whatever she set her mind to, she did it. And so she kind of just took a different path than what she was raised to take a different path as. Her and one of her best childhood best friends decided that they were going to, you know, make money on the streets. And that's what they did. But they decided that they were going to do it in a very strategic way, like not the typical walk the streets. Like they were going to kind of get, you know, numbers and contact people. and, and Like in a, in a, in a back. Like they have this this um, website. I don't know if it's like as popular as it was back in the day, like 2016, but it's called Backpage, and you would go on there, and that's the way that you would get, you know, dudes to come to your hotel, and you would have sex with them, and it was more of a sophisticated way of prostituting. Absolutely. So they weren't like walking the streets, and they they did it this way because they wanted to stay together, and they were they called themselves being safe. Right. So that's what they did. And but now they decided to go to Newark because they wanted to celebrate her birthday and they were in a hotel and they were celebrating that weekend. But then they ran out of money. And so they were like, we got to get some money. And so instead of them doing their traditional way of what you just described, Steph, they decided to, to do it the the normal way walk the street and so they did they walked outside they went and as soon as they did the silver bmw pulls up and robin gets in the car well as soon as robin gets in the car her best friend comes up and says to the guy you better take care of my sister i love her and then she takes a picture of the license plate steph i see your face I want the i want our mib fam to like be able to take in what you're thinking right now I mean, you know, I just, they were young, so this is no shade to them. But, like, you know, I just come from that school of you just stay with your, you stay with your people. You never leave. You just stay with your people. Right, and what's really so crazy is that's what they t typically did. This it was is. the time, this was the one time that they broke their own rule. Yeah, and, it sucks. And it really does suck. And, and you know, she even called herself, I got a picture of his license plate so I can come track you down, right? But they drive off and Robin is never seen alive again. And three hours later, there's this house fire that's a couple of streets down, the, you know, a couple of, you know, streets down from where she was originally picked up 
this house fire is just goes house goes up in 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 to flames and it's what they call a five alarm fire and i don't know if you guys like watch like any of the fire you know shows fire station shows that's on tv i do but a five alarm based on what i've learned on these tv shows is where they have to call cities from like you know multiple cities to come and help put out the fire so it's not just you know the city that it's the, that the house is in it's like the neighboring cities got to come and so they literally have five different cities come to put this fire out that's how bad this fire was and when they got in they knew that this fire was arson related just by you know most most fire departments can tell like most fire you know uh firefighters can tell when you know when it's arson related it's blatantly arson related and they knew this is blatantly arson related and so they already went in with this investigative mindset and they find a body in the house and it is so badly like unrecognizable like you cannot recognize the body and so of course Robin's best friend, you know, hours go by and she's trying to get in contact with her. She can't No, she's not responding to the text messages. She, you know, tries to report her. Of course, nothing, you know, comes of that. And not only did she try to report her, right, but she tries to give them the license plate number. Yeah. And they say no. No. We don't want it. We can't run that plate. We can't run it. And and it's just, we'll, we'll, I'll save that for the, the takeaways. But they don't run the plate. They don't care. They don't pay attention. Because at the end of the day, Robin, to them, is just a sex worker. That's what it is. And so, you know, her fa- fast she's, forward. And she's a teenager. Like, oh, she will, you know. Well, she'll probably show up. She'll you show know. up. She's probably just having a good time. Well, her birthday was September 5th and I believe it was either on her birthday or around her birthday. They were finally able to identify the remains and it of the body that, that was found in the house fire. And it was the body of Robin. And so her father was just completely devastated because although Robin was living a lifestyle that he didn't agree with, he absolutely loved his daughter and stayed in connect contact with her even while she was like off doing her own thing. And so he knew something was wrong too. He knew she wasn't responding. And so every everybody that was close to her knew this is off. This doesn't make sense. But they finally received the devastating news that she was killed. And they knew that it was a homicide. So that started in August. Fast forward now. Back to Sarah Butler. And they're trying to figure out where she is. And they finally discover, they finally get access to her cell phone records. That's why I said, and that's why Steph had that, has this poll out. Because it took them time to get access. She went missing on November 23rd. They didn't get access to her cell phone records until the mid-December. And as soon as they did, they were able to ping her cell phone's last location. They get over to where her last location is and they identify the body. They, They identify the body. And her last location was at Eagle Rock Reservation. And they discover her body. And she was strangled with her own sweatpants tied behind her neck. They were able to identify the DNA because the DNA was lodged under her fingernails. And it belonged to Khalil Wheeler Weaver, that 19-year-old who looked oh so not suspicious that was willingly able to talk to police at the Panera Bread. So on December 4th, 2016, they were able to match his DNA and they arrested him for the murder of Sarah Butler 
The next day, they went to his home and they also found the body of Joanne Brown in an abandoned house. And this house was orange. Right. And 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 a, you know, little detail about this house. This is the house that she that Sarah picked up Khalil Wheeler Weaver in front of when they went on their date. This is the same house. It wasn't his house. No, it was not his house. But it was this that's where that nice home that he had her pick her up. So literally he picks she picks him up. Unbeknownst to her, a dead body is in the home. Joanne Brown was strangled and wrapped in duct tape. Sound familiar? Duct tape? That same duct tape Tiffany was wrapped up in before she was able to get it off so that she could escape. So, yeah. um, He was, he was, he was pretty deep. He was very unsuspecting. Not a lot of people thought it was him. I'm going to include pictures of like I always do of Khalil. But Khalil, you know, let me tell you, he does not look like a killer at all. Like at all. Um. People characterize him as an outsider, a bit of a nerd. He came from a good family. But he was obviously a monster, a quiet guy. Um, But in September of 2019, he faced three counts of... Three counts of murder, um, attempted murder, arson, desecration of a corpse, Tiffany did willingly go to the DA and self-identify as a person that he attempted to murder and also the, a person that he raped. So she did testify. And it was her testimony that really was able to link Joanne and Robin to Khalil because it showed the modus of operandi that he had with all of them, which was that he would rape his victims, strangle, uh, he would rape his victims, cover them with duct tape and strangle them. And he did that with each one of his victims. And Tiffany's account was able to connect each one of those and show that this is what he did. This is, this was his MO, right? This is, this is what he would do to his victims. And so it was her courageous testimony that was really able to seal the deal on this man's fate. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. Tiffany did an amazing job. Right. I mean, and she really kind of sealed the deal, but honestly, even if she didn't, they had so much evidence on him and I highly encourage you guys, you know, I, you, I leave everything that I research that we research here on murder in the black in our show notes but i highly encourage you guys to go and watch this episode because the amount of evidence that they have on this guy like he he was sealed he should have just pled out his the the (laughs) cockiness of this man actually pleading not guilty is is comical because his phone he had so much evidence on his phone this guy and and Steph I have to tell the MIB fam just a little bit I know you gave some some background on on this guy but I thought this was just amazing when I did the research and just coming back and reminding myself today that he not only came from a good family but his his parents were in law enforcement girl his father, his stepfather was actually a detective in like the neighboring city to which they lived. And he actually had just become a security guard. And if you, when they went through his phone, cause of course they, they did a deep dive and he had so much on his phone. And that's what Steph's telling you. You got to go see like all the stuff he had on his phone. He was very literally Googling how to kill how to kill without being recognized like that. Like, but literally he was researching to become a police officer. So can you imagine this guy 
if he had not been caught, he would not have just been walking amongst us. He would have been walking amongst us as the very person that's supposed to be protecting us. Oh, yeah. It's crazy. Oh, yeah. So after three months of trial and just three hours of deliberation, he was found guilty on all 11 counts. And they sentenced him, thank God, to 160 years in prison. Without the possibility of probation. Thank God. So the scary part about all of this is after he was sentenced, they actually found out that the, the remains of a female body was found. Of, Mama, a, of yeah. a young girl, I was about to say of a woman, but of a young girl, she was 15 years old. Her name was Maud. Mawa Dubia. Dubia. Mawa Dubia. And we may be butchering that. And if the family is listening or ever hear this, please like, well, know we'll our we'll put the name, her name yeah. in the show notes and on Instagram and all that stuff. But digital evidence was found that he he was responsible for her death. They were able to that same evidence that was shown that that sealed the deal with all the other victims that basically was able to ping his cell phone where each of the victims were last located. He it shows that his phone was there as well. They were able to do that same thing with Mawa. And show that his his phone pinged at her last location as at the, well at the same time that she was last seen. So they were able to link that, and so he he wasn't he's not been charged with that, but they are pretty confident that it was him that committed that crime. So just sit with that. And the truth of the matter is. And one of the young women who who was friends of Joanne said on the show, we don't really know how many people this man may have killed. We don't really know. We do know he's a serial killer, though. Yeah. So, take away. Well, this episode, it's so many takeaways. I'm going to just take the very the very obvious one. I'm sure Steph has uh, put a way more thought into her takeaway. I think this case just anchors me so much because with each one of these victims, it could have stopped there if law enforcement had simply listened. And there have been many cases that Steph and I have covered where we praise law enforcement. So if you are law enforcement, you're listening and you're like, man, they really getting on them. It's because it's deserved in this case. And when law enforcement does a great job, we're going to praise them. But in this case, they utterly dropped the ball and they should have to live with the guilt of some of these victims because Sarah Butler did not have to die. Because Tiffany, seven to eight days prior, not only had had the name of the, her attacker, but she had his cell phone and she had cell phone number. She had his car. She had all of the things that, that was needed to go grab that guy and get him off the streets. And yet they didn't want to listen to her because she was a sex worker. So what is my takeaway? Law enforcement has got, and not just law enforcement, but I'm going to just harp on them for this takeaway. Law enforcement has got to stop looking at prostitutes or people that they don't think is as valuable as others, as people that you don't help. Everybody deserves to be helped. And black women, we deserve to be helped no matter what our backgrounds may be, no matter how much you don't agree with the lifestyle of that individual, if they are calling for help, we should help them because you could very well be preventing the next crime. Yeah, um, definitely agree. 
But yeah, my takeaway is we covered way too many serial killers <laughs> on this on this uh, murder in the black, and I think it speaks to the fact that stereotypes. Um, did an interview and I don't think this is a takeaway as much as I think we have to have discussions about stereotypes and how we have to not or how we have to have a conversation as a community about the stereotypes that just aren't true right and so serial killers there are a lot more black serial killers than there are white we have to have that conversation right we need to look inward at our society or at our culture as a black community and we need to have a conversation about protecting black women and we need to look inward And we need to talk about how black men aren't protecting us. Can we have that conversation? Huh? It absolutely is a hard conversation. But it's a necessary conversation. It's necessary for us to have it. Yeah, I mean, I just think that we have to have those type of conversations. Because just as much as we have talked about on our our podcast that you know, oh, we have always thought that serial killers were white, but the most prolific serial killer is Samuel Little. And we keep talking about these serial killers and they're black and the most prolific one is a black person and they target the most vulnerable in our society, which are these prostitutes, these black prostitutes in our society, the most vulnerable ones. Like, we, then we have to have a hard conversation about why are they targeting us? And they're getting away with it. And then we're turning around and we look, we're looking at law enforcement to do something about it. And law enforcement are looking right back at us like, you ain't finna do nothing about it. Well, then we got to protect us then. You know what I'm saying? And I know that that's, a, that's, a, that's such a heavy conversation. I know it's lofty, right? I know it's... As such a weighted conversation and I know that we're not going to come up with the solution <laughs> today or tomorrow or maybe in a generation but listen I mean I feel like that we have to at least get the conversation started because I, I'm tired of black women not being protected I'm tired of us looking at law enforcement to protect us and they're looking at us quite literally looking at us and saying we don't give a damn and I know all of law enforcement doesn't look at us and say that right I know there's that's crazy to say that they all don't give a damn about us that's wild I know there are good ones that do and people who are activists and who do care and that's why they get involved right but I just think we got to that that's that's my way of getting the conversation started. So I'm interested to hear what you guys think, you know, because I think that the narrative of, you know, black people ain't serial killers. Nah. Listen, we've disproved that here. They quite literally are. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? What you think? Yeah, I think I think that's that's accurate. It's right, and I just want to add that Oftentimes, and even in your own, you may be sitting there and thinking too, like, if you were in the law enforcement seat, maybe you too would not have cared. And and it's and and we're presenting it as if law enforcement literally said, "Screw you, walk out the door," and they may not have done that. Right? They may literally have just said, "You know, take it, take in the report." And the subconscious bias kicks in. Because, see, we all have that. 
We all have a subconscious bias. Yours may be different than mine, but we all have it. And if you don't recognize your subconscious bias, then it can become a problem. And I think oftentimes law enforcement doesn't recognize their subconscious bias. But also to your point, Steph, I think that we also are so quick to point the finger that we're not paying attention to the three that's pointing back at us. True. That, yeah, law enforcement dropped the ball here, but where are we dropping the ball as a culture? And I think that's a very, it's a way bigger conversation, but in order to in order to solve it, we got to start having the conversation. Right, right, We got to right. start talking about it. So that's kind of what, what, what I think you're saying and what we're saying here today is just, we just need to start talking about it and let's stop saying that black people aren't serial killers because they are. And because the truth of the matter is that humans are depraved people. Period. Right? Like, so, and that comes in all shapes, forms, color, sizes, backgrounds, backgrounds, and creeds. Like, it really does. And so we need to stop saying black folk is not a part of that because they are. Right, right, right on, right on, for the right on. All right, y'all, let's go ahead and get into our questions and polls from last week. All right, MD, I'm going to ask you this question. You win $17 million. What are you doing first? Here are your options. You calling your fam or partner? I feel like I already know this answer, but the people don't know. Are you going to confirm your numbers, disappear off of social media, change your phone number, receive your check publicly, give everybody money, go to a private island? What are you doing? So, this, I just want to I just want to make sure I understood the question. The question is, you received seventeen million. Yes. After taxes. After taxes. Oh, that's mm-hmm. that's good. And and what was the first what was the first answer? Calling your fam or your partner. Right. That that's it. That's what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I thought so. Okay. So this is what you guys said. Um, over twenty seven percent of you said you're calling your fam or partner. Twenty nine percent of you said you're gonna confirm your numbers. <laughs> <laughs> that's good though. That's smart. Make sure you gotta smart. make sure. Um, 16% said disappear off social media. 4% said change number. 0% said receive check publicly. Because that makes zero sense. And I'm glad that we're all in accord with that. Because, like, honestly, like, I would I would disappear off social media. But it wouldn't be a big disappearance because I'm not a big presence on social media to begin with. Okay. But... I, I definitely am not receiving my check publicly. Okay. 3% said give everybody money. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Okay. I, can I be y'all's friend? Go. <laughs> 19% said go to a private island. Okay. Okay, y'all. Okay. Question was, did you think it would be someone who wasn't close to him? And... McClendon Sonia said, I thought he put too much trust in the woman that was supposed to be helping him. I feel bad for him. Dion said, no, honestly thought it was someone who was around him all the time. I did too, Dion. So we're on the same page. Matrice Turner said, yes. And Erica said, God was not an option, but the first thing I'm doing is thanking God. Now, I feel you, and then I immediately felt bad that I didn't put God as an option about the $17 million. <laughs> listen, Matrice, I, listen, I felt the same way. God bless you, Matrice. Right, because, yes. Because God is the first person. God, God, and, you know, my tithes. That's why he ain't blessed no, me yet, because I didn't put him on the pole. $17 million. Golly, God, Matrice. <laughs> Love you, Matrice. All right, y'all. That's the polling question. I just hope y'all enjoyed this episode. I'm going to go ahead and do the featured true crime case that's happening in your community. Let's go ahead and get into it.
This concludes our crime case for this week. But next week, we will be launching our bi-weekly segment where we will be featuring crimes that affect your community. And the criteria is very simple because remember, we were trying to become many activists here on Murder in the Black. We're trying to solve some cases if we can. And the criteria is very, very simple. So they don't have to be crimes that have already went to trial or they are solved. No, no, no. We want crimes that have not been solved and they could have just happen but we need to know the facts of the case and you can send that in to me via instagram or facebook our fan page or you can send them in via our email but our email is pretty lengthy so i don't want to say here on murder in the black but i will leave it in our show notes and you can find it on our instagram page and our link or on our facebook fan page so i'll leave all that information in our show notes so you can have it and you can email us there okay but you have to send me some articles so i can have the facts so i can feature it on our show okay so make sure you guys are participating so that we can get these crimes solved in your local community and you can be a mini activist too all right so i wanted to remind you guys of that make sure you're sharing these episodes if you care with friends and family And until next time, you guys know this is Murder in the Black. I'll see you next week. Love you. Bye.